this week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Well, there's one game left, and would you want it any other way? Game three goes Saturday night from a sold-out bandit land. So we'll talk to Dylan Ward and Kyle Buchanan as they get set for game three, plus another round of box bets. All that more on OTCB. My name is Teddy Jenner, and welcome back for another year of National Lacrosse League action. Matthews, quick stick. Are you kidding me? Why Dylan Ward? I don't believe what I just saw. That's the save of the year right there. Oh, wow. Blair right down the middle, shoots, and he scores! Ultimate decider, 
we wouldn't have it any other way. We pretty much played every single game of the National Lacrosse League season, and it all comes down to one in what will be a sold-out bandit land on Saturday night. He is Pat Gregor. I am Teddy Jenner. Welcome back to the Off the Crossbar podcast show here on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Patty, what is going on, my man? You are in the midst of a wild-ass storm out here in Ontario. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's looking more like BC out there than, than Ontario right now. It is absolutely insane. So if you either hear thunder or my dog barking, uh, it, it is because it's absolute chaos outside. <laughs> It'll be chaos inside Banditland. It was chaos inside the Loud House. Um, let's go back to last weekend quickly. It was your first experience there. Uh, what did you think of everything that the mammoth did from a game presentation fan wise entertainment value what did you like about uh, your time inside the loud house it was awesome man it, it lived up to full expectations and probably surpassed my expectations for the loud house first off i yeah i know why they call it the loud house that is a loud building it's a big building too it's a beautiful building for uh, at that um the game prez was outstanding um really from start to finish fans couldn't possibly be bored whether it's the gameplay uh during commercial breaks they've got great stuff going on um the arena staff is fantastic the way uh, the media room with the pregame meal, like just kudos uh, to Cronky Sports Entertainment. They run uh, a, an unbelievable show from top to bottom. And uh, I, I got to say, I want to go back to the Loud House. <laughs> maybe maybe you can get back there next year uh, for a game with TSN, the playoffs, who knows? But you're going to be back in Banditland, game three. Uh, we really are, are pushing this right to the end and it's everything that we'd hoped it would be. Obviously the big news before game two was no Eli McLaughlin. And right off the bat, we started hearing rumblings of this leading up to the week in our talks with some of the guys. And y'all thought, man, no Ryan Lee. Okay. They've been able to get this far. Buffalo's probably just a different animal. They lose game one by a goal could have tied it up at the end and then game two gets to starting and we're like oh no Eli McLaughlin and you're like man it is going to be a real tough hill to climb and boy did the Buffalo Bandits run into an absolute pissed off animal in the Colorado Mammoth who put on an absolute defensive display in game two it was remarkable, especially in that second half, man. The the defense and Dylan Ward just seemed unbeatable at times. Like outscoring them in seven two in that second half. Like it, it was a masterful, masterful job um by the mammoth and the coaching staff to put that together. Um you've got to give credit obviously to the defense and the goaltending, but how about the offense? Like mm-hmm. they did their job. Uh, I think everyone across uh and like the nll fan base um even people you know players maybe even everyone except for the mammoth were thinking like they're done but there was no panic there was zero panic in that lineup it was next man up mentality and kudos to them like obviously zed williams connor robinson continued to carry the load offensively 
um, was it the first six goals was just scored by those two. But then we finally saw the secondary scoring come to life. And that's what it's going to have to take for this team um, that's faced adversity, not just all playoffs along with these uh, injuries, but they've been the comeback kids all season yeah. long. And I said it before, I'll say it again. This team just has some team of, of destiny vibes going on. And, and it certainly showed in that game too. Let's not take anything away from the Buffalo Bandits as, as they have home floor advantage. They earn that right. They will get game three inside their home arena, inside in front of their fans. This is why they battled that hard. But they are going to have to find a way to get inside that defense of the Colorado Mammoth because they didn't score in the first. They scored six in the second, only two in the second half, as you mentioned. That's not going to get it done in the championship games. What do you think they need to do better to have more success against this Colorado defense? Well, Colorado did a great job taking away the inside. And I think Buffalo kind of got, you know, I'm trying to think of the word they got baited into just relying on the outside shot, not getting into the inside. They're not playing, you know, the bandits brand of lacrosse, really snapping it around. But not only that, I think it's just the fact that we really didn't see a lot of secondary scoring. Um, Josh Byrne was solid. Dane Smith was solid, but we didn't see the offensive explosion from Dogan Anico. Uh, We didn't see Connor Fields, uh, but I think Kluche scored too. But besides that, the secondary scoring cast was was held pretty quietly. Yeah. And that was the big difference in game one. You you saw Tohoga score five. Uh, we saw Fields pot in a few. Like, everyone was involved. It just felt, from an offensive standpoint, the load had to rely on Byrne and Smith. And you look down the floor the other way. Yes, Robinson and Williams carried the majority of the load, but... We saw other contributors as well. And I think that's what the bandits need to do uh, in game three. If they're going to want to win a championship. Yeah. Zero goals from Dehoga, zero points from chase Fraser. They need those two guys scoring and bringing their energy because yes, Burns going to get his Dane's going to get his, but it's the energy of a Dehoga goal or a chase goal that really fires that team up and gets everybody going. And I think they're definitely going to need that at home to make sure that, that crowd is on their side for and, and loud the entire game. They cannot allow the Mammoth to silence that crowd and take them out of the contest. It, it's it 100% what needs to happen. I, it's, I know a lot of people don't really, you know, there's some people that believe home floor advantage is real. And some people think uh, it, it is what it is, but when it comes to the game of lacrosse with the runs uh, and that's something that the mammoth made evidently clear all week long. And they're continuing to, to, to talk about it is the fact that they need to limit those bandits runs, especially inside that building, because when they get scoring, when they're having fun, when they're you know playing into the fans, they're a tough team to stop. And I think we even saw it when they were playing at their home arena. The Bandits went on a few runs, right? We talked about it on the broadcast. They go on their run, and then you would see, you know, in that second quarter, it was, you know, a string of Bandits goals. The Mammoth scored, but the Bandits replied right away. Yeah. And yeah. then the Mammoth would score again. The Bandits would reply right away. And it wasn't until the fourth quarter where the Mammoth finally went on their run but they were able to not allow the bandits to go on another one. 
Yeah, Bandits went on a six-minute run in the second quarter between the Dane Smith goal and the Chris Cluche goal that exploded that game open to 5-2. Zeddy makes it 5-3. Burns scores two minutes later, make it 6-3. And then Robinson at the buzzer to end halftime to make it 6-4. And that's a big goal. I, I, that was massive. Right? That's a, that's a huge momentum goal. From being down two to instead being – or being down three to instead being down two, th- that's – that was like the Vancouver game where they got it to like, I can't remember. Maybe they were within like four or five going or like two or three going in a half instead of like being down eight. You know what I mean? Like that was that mental thing where they're like, okay, we've got a chance here. We're in this game. And then Zed scores, you know, a minute into the third quarter. You mentioned it. Kluche responds right back. And then Robinson two minutes later to make it seven, six score in the fourth. Buchanan scores that goal to make it 8-6, 46 seconds in. And you're like, "Mm, maybe that's the goal. Maybe that's the one that kind of seals things here for the Bandits. But then Colorado scores the final five goals over the next eight minutes, sorry, five minutes and 40 seconds and completely take over that game. They get two from McIntyre, one from Zed, one from Kinnear, one from Gibson. There's that depth. And... Dylan Ward absolutely shut the door in that second half, only giving up two goals, makes 40 saves for the second straight game in the finals. And he's got his team one win away, one game away from his first and their first championship in quite a long time. Oh man, this just everything that that has happened throughout this entire series between the two games. It's just leading up to such a big game three. And we we've seen a defensive battle. We've seen an offensive explosion. I honestly don't know what to expect in, in game number three. It, it's going to be awesome, Teddy. Uh, all right, let's get the thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, we kind of talked about it. Robinson and Zed were great, but I thought the depth of the Colorado Mammoth really showed their merit. And, and they got contributions from everyone. Sam Firth played his first, first ever game. Sam Firth played his first ever game. That was almost <laughs> a tongue twister. Um, but, you know, Wardle had four points. McIntyre had a couple. Kinnear scored that big goal late. They got a couple in transition. Like, they got scoring from everybody when they needed it the most. And that's been a huge strength for the Mammoth this year compared to other years where we often talked about it. Their D has been their focal point. They've often run out of steam out the front door. This has been the year, finally, that Colorado has found an offense to match their defense and was on full display in game one. So my thumbs up is the depth of that Colorado Mammoth offense. No Lee, no Liger, and they somehow found a way. Absolutely, and I think this has kind of been the identity of the Mammoth this season as they finally have the offense that can support the defense. They don't have to keep teams to, you know, nine, ten goals to win games. And I think a lot of people when, you know, Lee and McLaughlin go down, oh, no, they're going to have to keep it lower. And it was a lower-scoring game, but the offense still came alive in the second half. Uh, Your thumbs up. You mentioned already, but... The Buffalo Bandits and Banditland having a sellout for game three. That is unfreaking real. That place was so electric with 14,000, just under 15,000 for game one. That building is going to be packed 
like 19,000 people oh, for an NLL game. I cannot wait, man. I'm I so jealous wait. of you and, and Abs and Ash. They get to be in that environment. And every fan that gets to be there and all the players and staff to be in that arena for that game. It, I, someone said it in one of our other chat groups. It might break the NLL attendance record for one game. I can't it, remember it what it is, but I definitely think it can happen. I think the bandits hold that record. If I could be. Sounds about I'm right. I'm not sure. I'm not I think sure, it's probably but... either them or Colorado. I would yeah. imagine. Which well, kind of signifies our point of how great these two fan bases are. Yeah. Yes, they they tapered off the upper decks in the Loud House last weekend, and there was only 10,000, but that was a loud-ass 10,000 fans. And there was 14,000 last week for Game 1. There's going to be 18,000, 19,000 for Game 2. You couldn't end this season on a better note. You know what I mean? Like, if it was Calgary, I'm sure the fan, it would be an unreal crowd. If it was Toronto, it would be an unreal crowd. But if we're in some of the other markets, I still don't think we have sellouts. Is yeah, that fair I, to say? Like, I'm not I'm not crapping on some of those other markets that struggle to get fans. But it is poetic that after these two incredible seasons, it's these two fan bases that get to cheer their teams in the finals. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a fair assessment for sure. I, and how how do you argue against it? Look at what we saw the last two games. Like by far the best two crowds that we had all season long. And and Banditland deserves it. And this is a, a, f- a fan base, a city that has been hungry for a championship for a long time. Now they have an opportunity to win on home floor. And I know, you know, Nick Weiss after game one said we we don't care uh, no offense we we just want to get it done well yeah. now the fans kind of get their wish and they have an opportunity to win on home floor uh thumbs down um pretty simple we kind of talked about it a couple weeks ago when there was only three games left now there's only one game left the season is coming to an end it absolutely sucks that it has to end but it has been an absolutely phenomenal season after the amount of time we had off 18 months or whatever it was. And to see the talent that was on display all year long was absolutely phenomenal. This will go down as one of the best NLL years in memory. And it's sad that there's only one game left. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. It really is that this great season has come to an end, but all good things must come to an end. Teddy. And, and, we can enjoy game three. We can be sad for a little bit uh, that the season's done. But then just a couple of weeks later, we've got expansion draft. And then oh. after that, we've got the NL draft. And oh. next thing you know, we're going to be talking about week one in the NL. So oh. we got the ball. So the beauty of the lacrosse calendar, it really never ends. Um, speaking of summer ball, how is your Ironheads road to the founders going? Uh, it's, uh, it's been quite interesting. Uh, the East division in junior B in Ontario is an absolute meat grinder. I honestly think there's about six teams, uh, in the East that could represent that division, um, against any of the Western teams. Uh, you know, we lost to Halton who 
is a great team. They've really started to pick it up, but uh, it's looking like we're probably going to be either a four or five seed heading into the East. But like I said, man, like one to six, uh, yeah. I think anyone can can grab it. I think when, it's going to be when an do awesome you guys finish. playoff start? When does your season regular season end? Last games on Sunday. What? So, yep. Already? Last regular. Yes, last regular season games on Sunday. It'll be game oh, number crap. twenty, and then the following week, first round of playoffs. How many games do you play in the regular season? Uh, 20. This have already played 19 games. Uh, we've played 17. So oh, we, we have three games. To get, right, right. Yeah. We got three more games to play, but regardless. Holy yeah. cripes. We only played 12. We got six left. Yep. It's, uh, that's how we do it in Ontario. <laughs> <laughs> um, things going well out this way. Yeah. How was that uh, going? We've got the Brards and Lakers this weekend. Unfortunately, every year there's a, a field tournament in Denver that the two high school teams here from Victoria will send teams from, whether it's a grade 12 team or a 10-11 team or whatever it may be. Uh, but so we're, we're missing seven guys this weekend. So that's not going to be fun. We're, uh, we're scrounging to call up guys for Saturday. I think we'll be good, but Sunday is the tough day because – all the teams that we usually call from, whether it's the the U sixteen teams or the the tier two teams, they all play. So uh, we're trying to get creative and finding guys to play for us on Sunday. But uh, the boys will be ready to be good. We got Nanaimo, our second game against Nanaimo next Wednesday. So the final game of the Island Derby will take place. That will be a massive game. The Junior A's had their Island Derby. Um, what was probably one of the best junior a games i've seen in a while of this year for sure yep dating back you know going back to the minto in 2019 victorian and i am with the talent on those two teams there are going to be some bona fide nll stars coming out of these two organizations in the next couple of years it's it's going to be awesome to see uh victoria won that one so they go to first place in the junior a loop so things are looking mighty green out west which is uh, always good to see you love to see it if you're a good old Victoria boy, Teddy. So Exactly. Um, um, all right, let's get to our guests this week uh, before we start talking about game three. Uh, Dylan Ward and Kyle Buchanan are two of the probably nicest guys to talk to and are just real genuine human beings. And they always mm-hmm. give us time to chat. But they're also both looking for that elusive NLL title. Wardo's won it all from a Minto to a man to world indoors and outdoors. Bucky's won multiple championships throughout his career, but the Nepean lad and the Orangeville boy are trying to find the elusive title. We'll talk to them both right here on the off the crossbar podcast. Joined now by goaltender Dylan Ward of the Colorado mammoth. Wardo, how are you brother? I'm doing well. How are yourself, Teddy? Uh, I am fantastic. Let's go back to Saturday. Uh, how about that crowd? inside ball arena yeah it was awesome that was uh it was very loud very rambunctious um it was awesome it was you know the lower bowl was completely packed it was it was it was a lot of fun to play in front of that crowd obviously uh the last time you guys were able to play in front of your home crowd for the season uh it was a wonderful send-off but bigger things come ahead for you guys in game two but obviously or sorry in game three but obviously in game two the comeback and your guys' ability to shut down that potent offense. Let's start there. Um, we've always talked about the Mammoth defense and how it is really the, the focal point of your group. 
Was that one of the better defensive halves you've seen from your team or even three quarters you've seen from your team? I mean, it must be, um, you know, we, we just played, we, we played lights out. We, we limited their opportunities um, on the inside, um, made them kind of settle for those outside shots where, and, and more importantly, kept the ball on one side of the floor. Um, and then our, our offense did a really good job of limiting their transition. So I think, you know, it was a, it was a great defensive game for us. Um, something that we can build on and, and something we were really excited about. What was the difference do you think defensively from game one to game two that allowed you guys to have that success? Uh, I think we just kind of settled in a little bit more. Um, you know, obviously they have a very talented offense and a lot of, a lot of really, really good players. Um, but we just, you know, we, we stuck to our game plan. We listened to our coaches. We trusted them with what they, they wanted us to do. And, and we went out there and executed. And I think, uh, I think that was just a, a huge part of our defense from game one to game two. Obviously, a lot of talk about your play is your high arc. Um, when did that start for you as a goaltender? Uh, it, it, in box, it was in junior when uh, my first year starting, which was 2010. Um, they That was when the CLA made the switch in junior A from the 4 by 4s to the 4 sixes. Right. And, um, you know, Matt Sawyer, who was – I believe he was still coaching the Boston Blazers at that time. Um, he, he told me that, you know, a lot of the goalies in the NLL or some of the more successful goalies in the NLL were, were starting to take that step out. He wanted me to try it out. Uh, and so I did that, that in 2010 it's kind of just gone from there. It's, and it's become sort of your trademark. How hard have you had to work at that each and every year just to, you know, to have the quickness to be able to play so high and still be able to get back to your pipes? Yeah. You know, it's just kind of finding that balance, you know, what, where can I be? at any certain point where I'm doing a really good job cutting down the angle, but I'm also able to get East and West uh, quick enough to, to make those saves. And, you know, you've seen, seen teams um, more so the, the last couple seasons. Well, this season, especially teams are really uh, focusing on trying to get that ball East West really quick. Um, regardless if it's against me or, uh, or any other team, um, teams are really doing a good job of swinging that ball across the floor trying to catch goalies off uh, off their line or, or getting those quick shots. So it's more or less just trying to find that balance of, you know, cutting down the angle, but also being in a position to, to get across. Does your play dictate the defense that you guys play, or do you think it's a little bit of both? Um, you know, they the we definitely want to play a defense where I'm comfortable um, stepping out. And, you know, it's stuff, something that Brider and I and Patty and I talk about quite a bit is, you know, they don't want me to get discouraged if I, if I let in a goal off a swing or, or a quick stick or something like that. So, you know, they're always encouraging me to, to take that step out, take that extra step out. And I, I mean, I agree with them and, and, you know, I, I'm definitely at my best when I'm, when I'm taking that extra step out. Who's the unsung hero of your defensive core? Do you think who's the guy that's not getting enough love? I think it's gotta be Timmy Edwards. Um, you know, uh, he, he just, plays so much and can do so much for us. He, you know, he takes face-offs, obviously. Um, you know, he, he, he's a swing guy on our defense, so he's playing any given shift against the lefties or the righties, depending on who, who's the three-man side. And he just works tirelessly, picks up a lot of really big ground balls, um, you know, is able to stretch the ball on, on, in, the, in the transition game. And uh, he's just got an insane motor on him. So I, I would say Timmy Edwards is right now probably our unsung hero. And then obviously the next man up mentality has really been for everybody in the national cross this year, coming back from COVID and everything. But 
obviously in the last month, you guys have been dealt two really big blows in the loss of Leeser and Liger. How impressed have you been with some of these young guys, whether it be McIntyre or Kinnear, um, stepping into even Sammy first, playing his first ever pro game uh, on Saturday. How impressed have you been with these young guys being thrown to the fire and really lending a hand to your guys' success? Oh, it's been awesome. I mean, you know, we there's been so many times this offseason where we could have just mailed it in and, um, you know, looked on to next year and no one would have batted an eye or blamed us or, or like said that we blew it. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we end up playing Calgary in the first round, you know, we lose that game. It just adds to the never ending story of us losing to Calgary in the playoffs. We go into San Diego who we don't have a great record against. Uh, historically, Ryan Lee uh, bangs up his knee in practice the day before our first game. You know, we lose that series. People are like, Oh, you guys, lost, we lost our, uh, our leading score, no one really bats an eye at that. Um, then we we go into Buffalo, play a really tight game, lose Eli McLaughlin after uh, at the end of that game. Game two comes around. If we lose that game, no one's really going to blame us. But the resiliency and um, the way that we're just like finding a way has been it's been awesome. And and you know we we've never looked at it like oh we're screwed. It's just okay. What are we going to do? How are we going to win this game? What, how do we replace? Or how do we find a way to create offense and get good looks and, and give ourselves a chance to win without our two leading scorers? And I think, you know, last game we, we was just the definition of finding a way. We just grinded our way for four quarters. And, you know, the, the grinding really paid off in that fourth quarter when we went on that run. Obviously, people will look back to that game against Vancouver where you're down 10-2, probably a game that you don't like to, to dwell on too much after that first quarter. But that really s- symbolized the character of this group and it's been that way all season doesn't matter if you're down one five or eight you guys always have a chance where where does that mentality come from I think it's just you know the trust and belief in each other um you know we've we've won games so many different ways this year you know and and years past it's been you know race to 10 if we can hold teams under 10 and we can get to 10 that's kind of been our success Whereas this year, you know, we've won the high scoring shootouts. We've won the low scoring slugfest. We've come from behind twice, uh, uh, numerous times, but we came from behind twice against Vancouver from, you know, what appeared to be insurmountable um, deficits. So I think it's just been like the never give up mentality and just like find a way, um, have each other's backs and, and support each other however we can. And, and it, it's, I mean, it's paid off. It's, it's been, it's been a really fun year and it's been different than any other year that I played with Colorado again, with just all the different ways that we're winning, but you know, we're, we're one game away from a championship. So it's, it's, it's been awesome. From a goaltender's perspective, what makes Zed Williams so difficult to defend? He's, I mean, he's enormous. He, he's just so big he's so strong and um, he, he draws so much attention. Like when he, he, if he wants to go to the goal, it's going to take a lot of people to stop him. And if you're going to send two, three people to him, he's going to find uh, he's going to find the open guy. And if you don't, he's going to find a way to get to the net. So it's just, he does so many different things. He's got so many different tools in his bag that he can burn you with. And it's just, it's, it's incredible to watch him go when he's ticking. It's crazy to see how well he has taken his game to another level. I think Tucka put out a little graph of, you know, his points, assists, loose balls, uh, and, and something that goals. And every stat has gone up. Obviously, the nickname, Zeddy Ball Game, really rings true. But 
you've been around him for a while, outdoor, indoor worlds. Is this the best you've ever seen? I, I'd like to say so. He, you know, he's just, he's just taken over games and he's mm. so ultra competitive. You know, he's not going to be the guy who's out there, you know, raw, raw or, you know, screaming or doing any stuff, anything like that. But, you know, you just look at him, he's got that look in his eye and he is just such a fierce competitor. And again, he's been going for us these, these playoffs and it's been awesome to be a part of that. I think the other guy people will look at is Connor Robinson, uh, a career year for him all over the floor as a forward in the first year. But what what's his, you know, M.O. as an O guy that makes it difficult? Uh, he's just got such a good shot. And, you know, he can sh- he, that shot comes from so many different ways. You know, you see some like really good shooters who, you know, they need to be in their spot or they need to, you know, have a certain motion to, to have success with their shot for C Rob. He can do it so many different ways. He can, he can score on the run. He can score planted. He can get to the front of the net. Like he just, he, he can, he can beat you so many different ways and he's got such a good, good shot that, uh, you know, it's, he's, he's tough to stop. Speaking of guys who uh, like to make stops, do you see yourself going head to head with, with Vino? Like, is that a personal battle that you have? No, I don't think so. I mean, it's obviously, you know, I'm aware of Vino and I, I know how good he is in his career. Um, but I'm just, you know, I'm just focusing on myself and focusing on our team and, and just focusing on making that next save. Um, would you like to be playing at 40 still? <laughs> I mean, I'll play as long as my body allows me and as long as my uh, my mind is still there. Uh, again, you know, Vino has been, had an unbelievable career and to see him doing it at the highest level still at 40 is incredible. If I'm able to do that when I'm 40, um, you know, I, I hope that I, I will. Um, but, you know, time will tell. Uh, you guys have won two of three against Buffalo, both games at home. Uh, you're still looking for a, a road win against them. But how much does that factor into your confidence heading into game three? Oh, I mean, I don't know how you can't be confident after our, our last game. Uh, again, like we're, we're down our two leading scorers. Um and we just found a way to win. And we just, you know, we found a way to, to put ourselves in a, in a spot to win a championship. So I don't know how our group can't be confident right now. And, um, you know, I mean, you were around our shoot around on uh, last weekend. They, uh, they're, they're, at no point would you have known that that was an elimination game. We just mm-hmm. we're, we're a confident group where we enjoy being each, with each other. We're, we're pr- we keep things pretty light. But when it comes down to it, we're going to we're going to work. We're going to work really hard and we're never going to we're never we never think that we're out of a game. So. We're just going to show up on, on Saturday and, and have that same mentality of, of um, you know, working really, really hard and outwork the team across from us. And, you know, the chips will fall where they may. Pat Coyle said it uh, post game. Uh, you guys gave yourself a chance for one game to win an NLL championship. And if it goes your way, it'll be your first. Um, you pretty much won everything else in the world of lacrosse. What would this mean to you to finally get that first NLL championship? Oh, it'd be awesome, especially, you know, being with Colorado my mm-hmm. entire career so far. You know, that's why you play. You play to win championships. So to say that we're, we're one game away um, is an awesome honor in its own. But, you know, our whole group, we're, our goal is to go out there and win a championship on Saturday. Wardle, appreciate your time, my man. Safe travels to Buffalo and uh, good luck. I appreciate it. Thanks, Teddy. The other side of the championship final, it's Kyle Buchanan of the Buffalo Bandits. Bucky, how are you? Good, Teddy. How are you? Uh, I am fantastic. Uh, An unfortunate way for game two to end for you guys, and obviously not the result that you wanted. But what positives can you guys take away from game two? Well, I think, uh, you know, I think 
it's tough because um, you want to go in there, you have an opportunity to get the job done, you know, two straight um, as we were able to do in, in that second round there. And, and I think uh, we just felt like it was a missed opportunity, but you go in the dressing room, your heads are kind of down, but you know, the, the best thing about it is that we get to go back home in front of, uh, you know, what we anticipate is a crazy atmosphere um, and get to win it in front of our fans who, who deserve it after this long layoff. And um, yeah, we didn't have our best, but we were still in the game. So that's another thing we can take away. Maybe mentally there was some thoughts of, oh, you know, we're going to win a championship and the after party and all those things. It's natural for athletes to think that way. Did that, do you think that was maybe at a moment where, you know, you guys were up in that second quarter, you guys were even up in the second half. Did maybe some of that thought process creep in, do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, we've been off for so long and I think these, these big games, big situations, guys haven't been in in a while. Um, so I think maybe in the second half, you know, I, I got one there in the first minute of the fourth quarter and two goal lead, 14 minutes left. And I think, you know, our mentality sort of shifted and, and, uh, you know, we'll be honest about that, that maybe we thought, Hey, we could just play 14 minutes of lacrosse and we can win a championship. Um, and I think that's, you get into trouble in playoff lacrosse like that, right? You step back as opposed to lean into it. Uh, and I think it's really important to lean into it in those situations, especially against a team, you know, that has consistently come back in games and, and battled back and, you know, has some young fire and young juice in their lineup and, and we need to know that. And, and uh, so it was, a, it was a good lesson that way, but you only have so many chances to do it. So um, that's why it stings as well. But you know what? I think um, to your point, step back, which we haven't done all season. And, you know, we learned that and, and we'll be better for it. What do you think Colorado did differently to kind of throw you guys off your game? Um. I don't know that I don't know that they did anything that much differently. You know, they kind of buzz around and cause some chaos offensively. And I think um, maybe we we changed our game too much. You know, we adapted to them more than just playing Buffalo Bandits lacrosse on both sides of the ball. So I don't know that they shifted their game plan all that much. You know, they are who they are. They work really hard, um, as does many teams in this league. But you know, they grind on loose balls. They grind on repossessions. Uh, they do some things offensively, like switching sides of the floor. Um, which maybe mess with our defense a little bit. And then offensively, you know, they play a little bit different than the defenses we've seen in, earlier in the playoffs. So um, we should have adjusted to that in the game too. And I don't think we did a great job on that. I thought we settled for the offense we've been doing all year and that was successful for us, but we didn't make the adjustments we needed to, you know, they play a bit of a wall up top and let Wardo come roam the top of his crease. Uh, you know, we were looking for backdoor opportunities, but we got to get to the middle of the floor and uh, inside that defense. And that was what we've done all year to be successful and put up the numbers we have. So, we got to get back to that. You are a diminutive player. You are a water bug out there. I use that term often when, when I watch you play. Um, has that always been your style? Have you always been sort of the smaller guy out there that's just always had to work harder than, and faster than everybody else? Yeah, I think you kind of nailed it there. You know, I, I've, I've been small my whole life, right? It's not new for me. Um, so I've always, again, tried to have find ways to be creative and, and, and get to the dirty areas maybe – um in different ways so um you know I, I think a lot of that has helped me build like anticipation and understanding where the game's going to go and, and how to get to those areas ahead of guys uh, maybe a step quicker than, than some guys whether that's loose balls or a quick cut or things like that so that's always been my style of game and I've always tried to learn and watch uh, every single game and learn from different guys of, of how they do things and maybe pull a bit into my game so a lot of learning and a lot of finding different ways to do it and um yeah, that's always kind of been my style, and I've pr uh, prided myself on having high IQ. When you watch film and, and to try to 
predict those moments? What are you looking for? Tendencies and and draw guys or, you know, how defenses break out, where they're going to kind of be? Yeah, definitely on faceoffs. Something I've tried to look at is kind of reading clamps. And that's Mm -hmm. more so an in-game adjustment than it is watching video. Certainly there's tendencies where the ball squirts out to more depending on, you know, uh, Tim Edwards, for instance, or even ads, you know, our, our face-off guy, where that ball goes to the most. So um, but that's an in-game adjustment. And then on, on shots and rebounds, it's just understanding um, where the repossessions are coming from, right? Uh, is it going behind the net? Is it uh, squirting right in front of the net and usually some pickups and garbage there? Or is it going to the corners and, and trying to be in those positions? So, um, yeah, a lot of reading that. And, and I think, again, a lot of those things are in-game adjustments and mm-hmm. anticipating that uh, things on the fly. You weren't on this team in 2019 when they lost, and a lot of those guys all say that that was a, a good loss for them because they kind of went in feeling like they ha- had won already before that finals happened. But as a guy that has won elsewhere and as a veteran in this league, what's your message to your group going into a pivotal game three? Uh, I think it's just stick with it. I think um, as much as it is, it's tough to like turn the page and you feel like you missed an opportunity, you can't forget it. Um, sorry, but you have to, uh, you certainly have to move on quickly. Right. And I think the minute we walk into bandit land, the minute we walk into that arena, we will, um, you know, I think the message is there's 60 minutes and what matters in 60 minutes, everyone's going to be ramped up and everyone's going to have the energy. It's the details, right? Um, we've worked at it all year. It is another game. It's just, those details are going to be magnified. Um, and it's just, you know, it's very cliche, but not taking a shift off mm-hmm. because, you know, as we've seen throughout the playoffs, it's one, two, three goal games. Um, so one shift off can, can make a world of difference. A lot of the talk after game one was how the referees let a lot of moving picks go. And, and in game two, they kind of tighten it up a little bit. Um, and, you know, it, it dictates how you play through it a game from what gets called in the first couple shifts to what gets called in the last. How do you think the officials adapted to that in game two? Um, I think it was a different crew, right? Um, yeah, so, so I thought, uh, I thought it would definitely was a different vibe. I think earlier there was a couple calls, one on phrase, uh, that we thought was soft compared to what we saw in game one. Right. So mm-hmm. you do have to adjust to that. Um, you know, I will say that both games, they did seem pretty consistent, um, whether that consistent as a crew. Right. So, yeah. um, so for us, you know, we got to test that those waters early because you want to be able to adapt as early as you can in a game. You don't want to get to the second, third quarter and all of a sudden not understand what a moving pick is. So as an offense, um, I think we need to be a better job being tougher anyway. Um, I don't know that we're setting picks with speed like like they are um, and, and being physical on their defensemen. they got some big boys back there. We need to make them pay with our speed. Um, so that's something we're going to focus on. And I think, again, just being able to adjust quickly in the game uh, makes a difference. You've been on this group for, for the whole year now, and it is just such an incredibly unselfish offense, even with all the stars that are out there. How fun is it to be a part of this offensive group. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. It's uh, I mean, every guy can do things a little bit differently, but it's amazing how we've come together. I think at the start of the year, you know, we were putting up 12, 13, but it was like, it felt sloppy. It felt out of sync and a little bit out of rhythm. So it did take us a few games. Um, but to your point, like, you know, Dane and Josh, for instance, obviously they're hundred point guys and they don't care if they're scoring, right. They're okay to cut the middle and, and set a pick or, you know, do something else, pick up a loose ball. Um, and I think that trickles down through the offense. Um, you know, guys aren't really caring and guys can be going off for four or five a night and it doesn't matter who it is. Um, you know, I'm barely carrying the ball anymore and that's fine by me, you know, do my job, uh, pick up some balls for the boys and it's going to find its way to the back of the net. So it's, it's an amazing group to be a part of and, and I'm able to learn so much from young guys that have such passion for the game too. I think when you look at this group, the chemistry that is there throughout the whole organization 
is huge. Have you ever been a part of a group that's been this close? Uh, like, not really. I think in the NLL, I guess what I will say is I have, but this is my first year with this group. So I've never come into a group in the first year and felt like this about it. Mm. Um, you know, I think from the top down, our core has been together a long time. Um, the vibes that we've been able to get in the dressing room, bring in new guys and how they welcome guys into the room. Um, they let them have a voice. They let them be themselves. Um, I love that room. Uh, you know, we had a call yesterday with the boys and just chatting and, and guys get emotional and, and guys aren't afraid to let their guard down. And it's, it's amazing to be a part of. And um, again, that comes from the top down in this organization. We're treated uh, first class athletes and um, you know, Buffalo is an amazing place to play. What makes Dehoga so good to play with? Like he, he just, he doesn't seem like a rookie. He, he, he lives in that spotlight moment. He's got a big game energy, obviously, but he understands the moment. But he also understands that, like you said, it's not just going to be all about him. He's got to do all the little things to make him and the team successful. Where do you think that character comes from and what makes him so good at that? I, I think he's he's just, you know, his whole life he's had a chip on his shoulder. I think he, he wanted to prove people wrong and prove people that he can do. He can be himself as a player, you know, super creative, a bull, a dude in so many different ways. And I think that's transitioned right into the NLL, like right away. Um, like you said, he's playing like a five-year vet. Um, you know, there's certain things you got to learn in this league for sure as a young guy, but he's been playing at a high level for a long time now, um, mm-hmm. whether that's Iroquois Nationals or whether that's at Albany. Um, so I think for Tohoka, he, you know, he, he just goes at you. He comes straight to your face. He wants to run at you and, and challenge anybody. So uh, he draws so much attention to himself. He can shoot, he can pass, he can pick. Uh, he's just an all-around threat and uh, his game's only going to go up. So you've gone from, you know, Robert Morris to the NLL. You've been around the league, and, and now you're one game away from a national lacrosse league championship. What would that mean to a, a kid from Nepean to kind of join a short list of Ottawa-area boys to win a title? Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, you just gave me kind of chills there when, when you just said, like, what does it mean to you when you when you win? And, and you know, I think about so many things that, you know, i got to – back in the pen and, and the coaches I had and, and the family and friends I had to support me because at that time it wasn't a hub and they've done an amazing job back there now growing the game. And I'm so thankful to be from there and see where it's come. And, but I also think, you know, I got a young family at home, right? I got a wife who sacrifices every single weekend uh, and have my two kids who miss their dad every weekend, right? Out on the road, um, you know, I get emotional thinking about it. So the job's not done. We got a big task ahead of us, but um, you know, I'm going to have some family and friends in, in the arena as well that night. And, uh, man, it would be something else to, to share that with them. And you said it in bandit land. That's why you guys play for home floor advantage to have this game inside the craziest and wildest arena in the entire national Cross league. Can you even fathom what it's going to be like? You were there for game one. Obviously you were there for game two in Colorado. Game three is probably going to be a completely different animal with Sweeney on the mic and, and the bandit land fans just are going to be ready to rock. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. I think they're expecting a sellout, uh, which is going to be insane in there. Um, you know, I, I think that crowd's been amazing all year. It's grown since game one. And, and mm-hmm. as we expected, it's grown more and more and more. And, and you know, you go out in, in Buffalo and you're recognized at the restaurants or you're recognized in the airport. And it's just a different animal. And people just love it and respect it because of what the organization has done in the community and um, for sports in Buffalo as well, especially over the last little while and the tough stuff that Buffalo has been dealing with. So, um Bandland's gonna be crazy. Um, you know, we're gonna have to make sure we stay on the moment and understand what's going on. But once that uh let's go bandits chance gets going around the Ansons there, uh, you know, we're locked in. 
Do you have a favorite Sweeney chant? Um, I, just, I always love the goalie chant. I always love like once he got nothing yeah. when the fans do that. Cause I think, well, number one, I love it to stop on our defense, but two, it, <laughs> you know, it gets us to the ball back, but it's kind of like a, it almost, I feel like starts momentum for our team. Mm-hmm. So it's a cool one. It's uh, you know, our defense gets some momentum. Then all of a sudden we get the ball back and we're flying the other way. So uh, that one sticks out. All right, brother. Uh, a big game Saturday night. Uh, friends and family will be in the arena. I'm sure many more will be watching at home on TSN and all your old college buddies will probably be watching on ESPN. So a lot of eyes on Banditland. Appreciate your time, my brother, and best of luck on Saturday night. Thanks, Eddie. Really appreciate it. All right, so there's Dylan Ward and there's Kyle Buchanan, two absolutely fantastic competitors. And the one thing that we really get from both of those guys is how important this game is to them. Like we said, Dylan Ward, this is his first time being in the finals, his first crack at it. For Kyle Buchanan, this is his first crack at it. And they don't want to let these opportunities go to waste. And they understand the importance of it. And they understand the pressure that will be there. But you just know that when the chips fall, these two guys and the other 40 runners are going to give us the best effort that they have possible. And you you talk to both sides and both of them echo those uh, sentiments. And uh, whether it's a guy like Dane Smith or Josh Byrne who have been there before and they know that this doesn't come as often as some of the young guys might feel like when they're, you know, in early on in the career, how they felt, or you talk to, you know, a guy like Scott Carnegie, who's been there before, who's won a championship, then they still know what's at stake and they understand how important this is. It's a one game. Anything could literally happen in this game. Um, and, and that just kind of speaks volumes to that three game series. It, it's yeah. not as, long and you don't have as much room for error as like a man cup but it's not obviously as big as a grind but it's also not just a one and done um that we've seen in some previous years this is i think kind of a blend of both it's quick you can't really have all that time for error but at the same time um you know it is a grind it's three weeks it's it's three hard games and you got to leave everything on the floor because if you take a period off if you take half a period off yeah. Game could be over. I don't know, or we don't know the status of Eli McLaughlin for game three. You could say game time decision, but that it might be a bit of a stretch. Obviously, the Mammoth would love to have him in their lineup, but if not, they're just going to have to roll with what they had. Um, for the Buffalo Bandits, they're relatively healthy. They got Bryce Sweeting back for game two, which was a good boost to their defensive end, some more size some more toughness, some more meanness. We are going to be in for an absolute treat here for game three. What do you think is going to be the deciding factor in this one? Oh, God. I hate yeah, I this big, question. Big tough questions, Patty. Big tough questions. I hate this question because, I, like I said earlier, man, like I think you could expect either style of game. I think it's whoever's depth scoring is better. Let's go yeah. with that. I honestly yeah. think – um, whoever secondary scoring, uh, whether, and that could be transition. Yep. Um, that could be a big part of it as well, but we know Robinson and Williams are going to light it up. We know Smith and burn are going to light it up. 
who are the other cast members that are going to step up. And I think we know the goaltenders and the defense are going to be solid. It's just whoever enters stage right or whatever they say for <laughs> the hero. Who's going to be the hero that's maybe not putting up as many points as the big dogs? Yeah, I, I think that is a huge one. I really believe Banditland will play an effect in this game. Just the momentum that it brings. And mm. when that crowd is going and Sweeney's got the crowd going and they're doing all their chants, it just has to give Buffalo an added boost to hear that support. And if it's going to be 19,000, man, that is going to be a <laughs> huge addition. And just you can build off that and you can build off of that energy. And when the team is buzzing and that fans are going, there's no better environment. And it, it should, it should really play an effect to keep that Buffalo group motivated and going forward. But I agree. Depth will be there. I think role playing players and the grinders are going to be there. We see it every year. Those water bug type guys, the Kyle Buchanan's, the McIntyre's, the Kinnear's, the Wardle's, the, the Fields and Nanakokes, the Brownells, all those guys are going to have to play a role somehow, some way in this game. And I don't know if it's because the game kind of got out of hand late, but Buffalo kind of reverted back to Darius Kilgore bandit ball a bit as that game went out, as that game ended. I don't think we're going to see anything come from the Weiss high stick. I know a lot of people were talking after the game if he was going to get suspended. I don't see that happening at all. But Buffalo has to find their discipline in this game. They cannot allow themselves to get in their own heads and take themselves out of it. No, they're 100% going to have to be disciplined. And I think the, they do still have to play that hard-nosed style of, of defense that we've seen, especially with a guy like Sweden coming back into the lineup. Um and you could tell he was heavily involved in some of that rough stuff. Uh, you, you've got to make sure that every time Robinson's shooting the ball or Zed's shooting the ball, they're picking themselves back up off the turf. Like you have to play tough, but you got to play that line. And I think for the first time in a very long time, we saw the bandits get rattled, mm-hmm. which is crazy because they seem like just such a composed group. It only um, takes but I don't, six penalties in the first four games. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't think we see that again. I think we still yeah. see them play the rough stuff and, and and play into the ref's hand, whether, you know, we saw it called a little bit tighter than the last game. Yeah. They still let the guys play. Don't get yeah. me wrong. But but they were calling the, the things that needed to be called, and I think yeah. we see that again. And, that, and that's what Bucky said when we chatted to him. You know, it, it was a different crew than game one. We – we had, we had a referee substitution in game two, which I had never really seen before. Yeah. Um, but you're right. The, the refs did call it tighter, but they did continue to allow the, the players to sort of settle it themselves. They weren't really a factor. And I know a lot of Bandits fans were a little upset with the officials as that game went on. But, you know, there was nothing in the first quarter. There was three in the second, one in the third, and then – in the last minute of the fourth, there was five penalties. So, you know, it was a fairly clean game. There was an unsportsmanlike conduct, two cross checkings and a slashing the first three quarters. And then it, like I said, then it kind of got out of hand as that game went on and and the, the decision was kind of decided, 
but I think we should probably see something more similar to game one because you're not going to want to be the guy like Pat Maroon almost was in game one of the Stanley Cup finals where you take a dumb penalty late and give the other team a chance to win it. So uh, I expect the officials to kind of not fully put the whistles away. They got to call the egregious stuff, especially the moving picks, like set your line, right? You can't blow a guy up but give them some leeway to push a guy a little bit. Like don't call everything so tight that the players have no clue what to do. You just got to call the egregious stuff, call the super hard slashes, the high sticks, um, the too many men's and things like that. But for the most part, put the whistles in the pocket. Let's just see what these guys can do. Yep. It's, it's a finals, right? We don't, we don't want the officials uh, dictating the way the game goes, but at the same time, you don't want to miss call yeah. uh, to also be the reason why another yeah. team scores. <laughs> It'll be yourself, John Abbott, Nashley docking on the call on TSN and ESPNU, of course, also on TSN direct and ESPN plus, but let's see if we can end the season on a high note as we give you one more round of parlays time now for box bets your source for all the lines odds and props across the nll brought to you by coolbet.com stay cool bet responsibly (laughs) hey we're having a good day lads and uh we're still in the mix baby all right box bets time patty and uh we got one more for the people as we end the season and we're looking for a defensive battle we're looking for a close game, and we're looking for some transition scoring. Yes, we are. It's another let's just have fun bet. <laughs> Cheering for fun bet. Mammoth plus one and a half. So that means we just wanted to be a close game. Yep. A one goal game. Yep. We're taking the under 23 and a half. And I know, yes, life is too short to bet the under. But when you have Dylan Ward... And when you have Matt Vince and these hard-nosed defenses, we're going to cheer for that style of lacrosse. Let's and go. You defense. mentioned it. Let's go. You defense. mentioned it. We want transition goals. Yep. And who has been better at scoring transition goals in this series than Ian McKay? We're going to go with a Mickey over 0.5 goal. So all he's got to do is find the back of the net. Pair that with those two other bets plus 700 exclusively at CoolBet. Absolutely love that. Um, of course, you can go to CoolBet.com, find the lacrosse tab, and find all of the possible outcomes there, whether you want to bet on who scores first, whether you want halftime overs and unders, whether you want to bet on who is going to be the MVP of the playoffs. And right now, Dane Smith is your favorite at plus 250. Zed Williams plus 320, Connor Robinson plus 500, Dylan Ward plus 500, Vino plus 850, Byrne plus 1100, Dahoka plus 1500. I don't think it comes from anybody outside of those seven or eight guys unless something absolutely magical happens, but I think it's somewhere in that group. So if you want to put on some put some money down on who you think MVP will be, Cool Bet's got you covered. And as we always say, stay cool. Bet responsibly. Um, you were doing some chatting about the U.S. Open. 
Um, yes. If people want to get involved in that, what are some of your uh, golfing odds, Patty? Well, because we're recording uh, a day later, unfortunately, and I mean, the pod's dropping on the same day anyway, so usually they miss out on the Greggy Golf special. Right. Um, but it was, I was going back to the well because that bet cashed at the Canadian Open last week. So yeah. uh, Sam Burns, uh, Rory McIlroy, and Canadian Corey Connors all to place within the top 20, um, plus 1,000. So hopefully you, you hopped on that. Uh, if not, the U.S. Open, are, uh, the cool bet lines are open, uh, live betting, so you can bet uh, all tournament long. There's some head-to-head hole battles. Uh, it, it's a lot of fun. The majors are the best uh, for when it comes to sports betting, but it's also just the best to watch. Uh, the yeah. U.S. Open, it's always... You're always seeing lower scores because the USGA uh, absolute meanies. They make the course just as tough so as dumb. possible. So um, and then this year at the country club, uh, I believe it's the second smallest greens um, out of all the PGA tour um, courses uh, in history, actually. So yeah. And you can land a shot greens. on the green and next thing you know, rolls off a hundred feet. <laughs> Oh yeah, we already saw that a couple of yeah. times this morning. So. Yeah, um, absolutely ridiculous. Um, can we bet on the Live Golf Tour on Cool Bet? Yes, you can. There oh, is boy. no there is no Live Tournament this week, but I think there's another one coming up soon. And yeah, you can you can bet on it. So, oh man, what just I, I saw um, a meme the other day that Schwartzel made like three point nine million for winning, and the yeah. whole purse of the Canadian Open was like one point eight or something ridiculous like that. Like. They are just chucking stupid money around at those yep. players on that team. Yep. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's nuts. <laughs> All right. Um, some final thoughts here. Uh, obviously, game three is, is going to be crazy. But uh, during game two, we had Sean Williams, the GM and head coach of the Las Vegas Desert Dogs on the broadcast. And we kind of broke news that the expansion draft would be on July 7th. Protected rosters are due june 8th so from what we've been told teams can either protect five forwards five defensemen and a goalie or four forwards seven defensemen and one goalie but if they're not protecting a goalie teams can do five and six or four and eight what do you think will be the most um, most picked. What 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 option do you think most teams are going to go with? Five five and one or four seven and one? I think five five and one because scoring is so valued in this league. And I think I'm not I'm not. I think there's just so many talented and athletic defenders across the league that you you can kind of fill in your roster a little bit more. Um, but when it, and of course, I don't see a lot of teams um, not protecting a goalie. Put it that way. Yeah. Um, unless you have an older goalie that can reject that franchise tag uh, and isn't under contract. I think, I think the only guy that I think about that is probably like George or Mike Poulin, right? Mike Poulin, yeah. But then I think they would want to protect one of their youngsters. You'd uh, think they keep trading all those goalies away or releasing all those goalies. It's true. What about, what about the Toronto rock with Nick Rose? I believe he's now old enough to reject the franchise tag. Is he not? Yeah, I think so. So, you know, they could leave Riley Hutchcraft exposed. 
I could see them doing that, and yeah. that way they can protect six defensive uh, players or even eight because even they're eight, a, yeah. they're a team that I think would want to protect more defensive players because they have just uh, an absolute wagon of a back end. Yeah, um, four offensive players only protecting does kind of scare me, um, yeah. but at the same time, you don't want to lo- lose one of those top yeah. defenders because I mean they're top eight. It probably can go against anyone's defense in the league. So teams have tethered protected Ross was in by the 28th, Sean Williams and his crew. He did say that they'd be announcing more coaching in the coming mm-hmm. days and weeks. So we're still waiting to find that out. Um, but they'll have a week and a bit just to kind of go over those rosters, talk to some of the players, see who they want to go after. And then on the seventh will be the official expansion draft with the desert dogs get their first 14 players. Teams can only lose one player. So once a player is taken from their team, they are done and safe. So it's not as bad as previous years, but teams are still going to lose some talent. And I think Vegas is going to end off pretty well in their first expansion draft. Yeah, they, I think the, obviously the, the expansion draft, there's always so much young talent that you can scoop up. Uh, But I think what, you know, maybe some of these other teams didn't have the advantage of is players are going to want to play in Vegas. Yeah, let's, yeah. Let's, let's be honest. Players are going to want to be a part of this team. And I think in free agency, they are going to be able to make a, a big splash. And that is going to be a lot of fun to follow. Yeah, I think uh, Joe Sy might give Sean Williams the triple black card to go out and try to get as many free agents as possible. Because like you said, the not only are there a lot of free agents going to be out there, especially UFAs, there are going to be a lot of people that want to play for not only Joe Sy, but for Sean Williams and for the desert. Dogs. Yes. So it'll be very interesting to see how they go about building their team over the next few months leading into their opening season. And I know, you know, they had um, the social media guy following Willie around in Denver. He was in the game and the crowd doing video hits. They put a video of our interview online. They are just super, super excited for what's to come. And and I think they're going to put on an absolute spectacle. Obviously, you know, the the Golden Knights do it big and everything around Vegas is done big. So, uh, you know, we see what other teams in this league do for fan entertainment in-game. Uh, I can't imagine what Vegas pulls out. Uh, I'm so excited to see what what it's all about. I know Vegas, it's it's all the bright lights, the flashiness, but the Desert Dogs have kind of gone with like a mysterious look. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm interested to see what kind of, you know, bells and whistles they have for the in-game press. But I think it's going to be electric. I think it's going to it's going to be really awesome to see what they do. for that that fan base and there's already a buzz down there man like people are excited uh to get that season going yeah i got a buddy who's been down in vegas for 20 years he's already got his season tickets he's fired up and and he's getting all his buddies involved so uh, i think if they can put a contending team on right away i think they're going to be just fine and i think fans will come out and it's vegas right like you can can hand out tickets along the strip and get people to to step inside MGM Michelob Ultra Arena. So uh, it should be uh, an absolute success down there if everything goes right. Um, last thing we're going to talk about, we kind of talked Junior A and, and Junior B a bit, but the madness in the Ontario Lacrosse Association and the MSL continues 
I don't want to say to be a black guy right now, but the season wasn't, the season was postponed. And then we heard that the season was going to start and it wasn't going to include Brampton and Owen sound. And then we heard that it was going to include Brampton and Owen sound. And then we've just found out that a game that a couple games that have been played have been taken off the schedule and released earlier today or maybe late Wednesday. Uh, the OLA says that they have agreed on a ruling essentially and a plan and it has to be approved by everybody else. So we're still kind of sitting in limbo of what's going on out there, but what else can you tell us? As far as I know, as you mentioned, the OLA board of directors approved of that five team MSL league for the 2020 season. Um, the conditions though needed to be approved by the MSL Brampton and Owen Sam. And the MSL put out a, a statement um, saying that the season was going to start on Thursday night with Coburg at Peterborough. That press release then is off the internet now. Um, and there has been no word if, if Owen Sound and Brampton have agreed to it. So now is the season following forward? Did those teams agree to it? Yeah. Um, and you mentioned already those two games that are already played, not counting now. So I heard, even heard that there was rumblings that MSL did agree to having Brampton and Owen Sound in the league. Uh, at the same time this year, but doing right. an expansion draft. And then I think the other teams then said, okay, well, no, we don't want that, which I understand, uh, yeah. you know, I, you can't just put two teams together out of nowhere when you pretty much have built your roster. So I think the smart decision was to say, okay, we're not going to punish the rest of the league. We're right. not going to punish these players that are just trying to play this summer. You two, you sit out. We'll figure out what's going on later. Let's yeah. finish the finish what's what we were we have started, and now I don't know what's happening, and I don't know if anyone really knows what's going on. Hopefully, they can get this figured out, and that it was just maybe the release was um, sent out a bit early, and yeah. by the time this podcast drops, everything's good to go, and we have an MSL season ready. Um, but crazier things have happened in this saga. So I don't knows? think anyone comes out of this scot free, like everyone's got some sort of blame that it's taken this long and we're at where we're at. Yep. Like from the OLA to Brampton to Norton to MSL, everyone has a hand in this doing. Yeah. And it's the players and the fans who are left out in the cold and 100%. wondering what the hell is going on. hundred percent. And that, that's what it is at the end of the day. And I think they finally recognize that. Yeah. Uh, they being o the OLA and MSLs by just saying like, listen, we need to play the WLA. It, it, they're full steam ahead. Yeah. Nobody's waiting around. We need to get this figured out. And we thought we had a taste of it on Sunday when Coburg played Peterborough. Yeah. And now that's off the schedule. Apparently they got to redo the schedule, whatever it is that needs to be done, get it done. So we can have MSL lacrosse, so we can have a man cup and get back. Like we talk about it at nauseum. The man cup is one of the best sporting events in sports in Canada. It's the most, one of the most historic trophies. And 
for it not to be decided by a traditional Ontario versus BC would be an absolute disgrace because of it. So I hope they figure this out. I hope we, we get a season and I hope we can get a manor come September. The man will, I believe, be held out east and whoever wins the MSL, if it happens, the Minto will be in Brampton, the Founders will be in Brampton, the Prezi is in Edmonton. So we are on the road to the national championships up here in Canada, but we still have one more game in the National Lacrosse League season. It is game three, Bandits, Mammoth, a jam-packed sold-out Buffalo arena will be had It'll be on TSN. It'll be on ESPN. You can watch it from the comfort of your own home. You will be in the best seat of the house inside of that arena. I am so jealous. Enjoy every minute of it. And have a great call, my man. Thanks, buddy. I, I can't wait. I, I'm so unbelievably honored to, to call this. It's going to be a historic night. I'm just, I'm happy I'm, I'm going to be there. And uh, I can't wait to get it going. It's going to be an awesome night. If you have a chance to get there, make sure you do. And when you do, bring a friend. Because lacrosse is always better with a friend. And if you're with a friend, buy him a beer. Because everyone loves beer and lacrosse. Thanks to Dylan Ward. Thanks to Kyle Buchanan. He is Pat Gregoire. You can find him on Twitter, at Greggy. I'm at Teddy Jenner. The show is at OTCB underscore podcast. Or you can find us on Instagram where we post clips at OTCB podcast. One game, one winner, one champion. That's all that's left to be decided, and you can watch it in the comfort of your own home. Until we speak again, stay safe and be excellent to each other. I am an outlaw.